Well, good morning. It's good to have everyone here this morning at Centerville Church. My name is Pastor Paul uh, Seymour. I am the pastor of music here. A lot of you guys see me up on stage with a guitar here every week, but roles are a little bit switched around right now, so I'm happy to be opening God's Word to you this morning. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah chapter 6 in the first eight verses this morning. And uh, I want to, first of all, just thank the church. I uh, recently got back from a uh, four-week sabbatical, and that was just a really great time of uh, resting and refocusing for myself and my family, so I want to say thank you for that. And uh, as I was away, uh, Adam, who's leading worship this morning, he's one of our interns, just did a great job leading and coordinating everyone, so really appreciate uh, everyone kind of stepping up and, and uh, giving us that time of rest. So it was, it was just really good for us. And uh, how about the drumming up here, too, this morning? Goodness, I was watching him, and it just makes me want to run through a wall or something when I watch him. <laughs> One of these days, he's going to break something, and it's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. <laughs> this morning, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been overwhelmed? Now, I know the answer to that question. It's kind of a silly question, right? We've all, at one point or another, been overwhelmed in our lives with the circumstances of life. The dictionary defines being overwhelmed as to be buried or to be drowning beneath a huge mass. You ever felt that way? You can be overwhelmed in good ways and in bad ways. I can remember in my own life, uh, you've heard me mention before, uh, there was a time in our lives when our son had cancer. As he was one, years, one year old, and uh, he's 16 now, uh, and almost as tall as I am. Uh, but that was an overwhelming experience. We didn't know what we were going to do and had to really trust and rely on the Lord because we couldn't do anything. I can remember in college being engaged, and my uh, now wife, Stephanie, and I spent a, a year apart as we were engaged and getting her love letters and, uh, and being overwhelmed with receiving those and reading those. Uh, there was also this one time, August 14th, 2022, where I had to stand on stage and uh, without a guitar. It's overwhelming, but it's a privilege. But today I want to talk to you, not just about being overwhelmed with the, the circumstances of life, but f- fighting back against those overwhelming circumstances with being overwhelmed with the worship of God, of who God is. I want us to be a people who are not overcome by evil, but instead overcome evil with good. Worship is one of our core, core values. Uh, that's what this summer series has been about. It's one of our core values, and this is what uh, our core value on worship says. Surrender the moment. We're about worship. God alone rules my world, so I will point to him in everything I do. Now I'm the pastor of music here, Um, uh, Some people call me the worship pastor, and I guess technically that's true, but when you think about it just in terms of music, that's not true, right? Music is worship, but it's not just music. Worship is everything we are, everything we say, and everything we do. It's how we respond to every moment in our lives, living those moments for the Lord. The God we worship is there in all the What will we do with this child you've given us, Lord? What will we do? He's there in all the circumstances of where will the money come from that we need to pay for this? How How will we recover from the loss of a loved one? God is there and deserves 
and is worthy to be worshipped in all those circumstances. Now, as we look into Isaiah in just a moment, you're going to see how the, the prophet was, the young prophet, was overwhelmed at the presence of God. A little bit of background for Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet called by God to give God's word to his people in the, the kingdom of Judah, which is the southern part, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. He was, his ministry took place some 700 years before Jesus walked the earth. The, uh, the calling that Isaiah had on his life from God was to prophesy judgment or woes that God was bringing upon the people because of their rebellious, idolatrous, and empty religious ways. God, in fact, told him, which we, we won't read today, but just after the, the section we read today, God told him that he was going to uh, preach to the people and their, uh, their ears would be shut and their eyes would be closed. How's that for a ministry for you? Thanks, God. Appreciate that. But that was, that was Isaiah's calling from God. The New Testament, in fact, quotes the book of Isaiah 66 times, many times by Christ himself. The book of Isaiah details the gospel. In fact, in fact it is sometimes referred to as the gospel of the Old Testament. The account we're going to read today in Isaiah chapter 6 seems to be Isaiah's flashback, a, a vision uh, that God gave him to call him into his prophetic ministry. It's a profound worship experience for him, and I one that I think we can draw some principles for our own attitude of worship. Before we read, though, a few things to remember. The first is this, worship is worth-ship. Pastor Pat reminded us of this last time he spoke. Worship is the way we think, speak, and act, whereby our lives assign worth to the object we are aiming at. Secondly, everybody worships. It's just the target that is different. There's an old song by uh, the, uh, the singer Bob Dylan in the, the 60s, and his song was called Serve Somebody, and the lyric says, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. He was making the point that we all serve someone with our lives, and the same is true for worship. We all worship with our lives. It's just a matter of where the target is. Every living room is a sanctuary, and every stadium, sports stadium, is a temple. We're always worshiping. We're always pointing worth at something. Thirdly, everything we do is motivated by who or what we worship. If you don't believe me, ask any junior high boy who goes in seemingly an overnight fashion from I don't want to shower to I will shower in Axe body spray because he notices the opposite sex. Everything we do is motivated by who or what we worship, what we assign worth to. Fourthly, worship always flows to the highest point. Like water goes low, worship goes high. And like water, it only stops where we build the dam. So I want to ask, I want to give you four questions this morning to ask your own heart. If you truly want to be a worshiper that worships in spirit and in truth, to tear down the dams that we build in our lives that stop the worship from going to the highest point, the Lord, we need to ask ourselves these questions with the right answers here. Firstly, are you overwhelmed by God's majesty? Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 
In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Can you imagine standing in the place of Isaiah? Seeing the Lord in this vision. Now, if you saw him with his physical eyes, he would be dead. But he saw the Lord, and we know that when God reveals himself to someone, things are going to change. Things are going to change. God reveals himself to us in different ways, but in in general, there's a couple things that uh, theologians kind of categorize these revelations into. The first one is general revelation. That is the broad display of God, whereby he shows us, this is who I am, and this is what I am like. General revelation is seen by every living thing in God's creation. Behind me, there's going to be a few pictures that flash up here, and these are recent pictures of the James Webb Telescope. Some of you guys have seen these online. Uh, Actual pictures of our solar system. Uh, In some of these pictures, just uh, Doug was telling me, our, our tech guy, good friend, he was telling me just the other day, some of these things that you see here are entire galaxies, our entire solar systems just distant. They're just dotted, dotted the, the dark sky when you magnify them. It's amazing when we look at God's creation, everything that he has made, from the things that we see here to the things that we see on a, through our technological advances and the telescopes that we have, it all screams, God, I'm here. This is what I've done. This is what I'm like. Everyone understands the language of creation. Scripture tells us in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. What is God saying? Creation speaks to everyone in every corner of the world and says the same thing, God. God reveals himself to all so that all are without excuse when they stand before him. We see this in Romans chapter 1, verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them. That's them is the people who have suppressed the truth and unrighteousness, Romans chapter 1 says. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Creation screams that there is a God to be reckoned with. Do you want to be overwhelmed in worship? Open your eyes and look at creation. Recognize the maker, the heart behind it. The second thing theologians kind of uh, tag this category of revelation as is, is special revelation. We have general revelation, general, right? And special, more pinpointed revelation. And that is the specific display of God whereby he shows us this is who I am and what I am like in great detail. 
We find this revelation in God's revealed character in the scriptures and most vividly in the person of Jesus. What does scripture say about Jesus? Colossians chapter 1, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. We've all seen the stickers on the gas pump where someone's pointed that price and says, I did that, right? Those pictures of the telescope, God did that. Jesus did that. He is the one who by things all, all, by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. Do you want to be overwhelmed in worship? Open your Bible and look at Jesus. You don't know what God, God is like? Look at the life of Jesus. Consider this morning in your worship from our, our look at Isaiah here. I want you to see God's position, firstly. God's position. What is his position in the vision of Isaiah? He is high and lifted up. He is in the place of authority. He is sovereign, in control, exalted above everything. Colossians chapter 1, as we continue in Colossians there a little bit, uh, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. From our very next heartbeat to the food that we put on our table, to our job, to everything that we have, in him all things consist. He holds everything together, including the galaxies we saw behind us from the telescope. I also want you to notice, and this is important, God's seating arrangement in Isaiah's vision. Where is he? He's seated on what? The throne. He is in authority over all creation. He is on his throne. He was on his throne then. He is on his throne now, and he will ever be on his throne. And if you want a little bit of advice from someone who struggles with worry, struggles with anxiety, I know you guys are out there just like me. You want some advice from experience? I would say this. If you want to stop worrying, stop trying to take God's seat. Stop trying to sit there on the throne. Stop trying to control every little thing. Follow God's lead, first and foremost. Obey his word and watch God work. Despite your circumstances, God is still on the throne. Many of you bring in lots of burdens this morning. I understand that. So do I. Um, But no matter your circumstances you've brought into this room this morning, God sits on the throne and he is not leaving. Isaiah had reason to be downhearted, to maybe be worried a little bit. Isaiah, uh, in the very beginning of this vision, it says, in the year King Uzziah died. Why is that important? Uzziah was a king that uh, the scripture tells us that he was, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He was a good king. But at the end of his life, he, he violated God's commandment. He offered a sacrifice in the temple he was not allowed to make, and God struck him with leprosy, and he was a leper isolated until the day he died. So as we see Isaiah's calling, he's coming into a situation here where things were going really good. We had some good leadership. We had a good thing going here. And then all of a sudden, this man in leadership fell. 
and he fell hard. And so Isaiah had reason to be downhearted, had reason to worry maybe. But God was still on the throne. God reminds him, I'm high and lifted up. I'm still on the throne. And just a word about worry. I counsel worry a lot as part of our counseling team here at Sailorville. Um, because of something I deal with, sometimes the things that you deal with in your own personal life are the things that you're able to, to counsel. And remember, Pastor Kurt always says, we're all counselors, right? We're all counseling each other. But here's something I know from counseling worry and dealing with it myself. Worship and worry are cures for each other. Worship stops your worry and worry stops your worship. The antidote to worry, 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 the whole earth is full of misery is, in fact, holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. And you have to preach that to yourself every morning you get up. You're the preacher you listen to the most. Make sure it's a good sermon. Also notice that the behavior of God's angels, his servants in the throne room, it's the seraphim, they're calling holy, 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 Scripture emphasizing the holiness of God, not once, twice, but three times. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. They're covering their eyes with a set of wings. They're covering their feet with a set of wings. And with a set of wings, they fly and do, their, do the Lord's bidding. And maybe there's a lesson for us there. Two-thirds of their faculties are dedicated to awe and reverence before they serve. But they're calling to each other. They're saying to each other, holy, holy. Notice the scripture doesn't say they're saying this to God. They're saying this to each other. Their function is to call out the holiness of God to one another. Maybe we should be taking a lesson from that as well. Doing that with each other. I've recently been uh, working out, lifting some weights with a couple guys uh, here in church. Military guys, uh, Paul Booth and Brad Millard, you guys might know, some of you might know them. Uh, they've been helping me out, inviting me over to their, uh, their, their garage gym, and we're throwing some metal around, right? And the other, just the other day, I was trying to lift uh, what I would consider an ungodly amount of weight, um, something I'd never, never lifted before. Let's just say it was about 11,000 pounds or so. Um, it, was, it was heavy. Okay? But Paul said, I, you can do this, so I did, and I lifted it, and I brought it down, and then nothing. It wouldn't go up. And Paul starts screaming at me. You can do it, just you know, screaming, not, not in a bad way, he was screaming encouragement at me, but he was screaming at me. And then I saw him walk over, and he lifted out his hand, and as soon as he lifted out his hand, I thought, oh, thank you, Lord, he's going to help me. And I pushed it up and back onto the bar, and thank you. I sat up and I said, Paul, thank you so much for helping me with that. And he looked at me and said, I didn't help you. He said, all I did was I, I, I stretched out my hand just to guide the bar backwards a little bit so you could push it up a little bit more. I said, okay, well, then uh, thanks for yelling at me. Thanks for screaming at me. That was great. And he, he's, you know, he's a military guy. He looks at me. He said, oh, that wasn't screaming. <laughs> okay, well, thanks for not screaming at me then. I probably would have left crying or something. Uh, the point is this, though, his encouragement, his calling out to me helped me find the strength that I already had, right? When you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, and, you can, and, and God can do through you more than you can ask or imagine. 
And sometimes we just need fellow believers to come alongside of us and call that out to us, say, God is your strength. It's not you. The strength inside of you is the Lord. Hebrews 3.13 says, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Consider the words of the hymn writer. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Secondly, this morning, are you overwhelmed by the gap between God's holiness and your sin? Verse 5, Isaiah chapter 6. So I said, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When Isaiah realizes that he is in the presence of holiness, he is, in his words, undone. The Hebrew word for undone is doomed. He realized that he is way out of his depth and he is dead. Now, I love to play basketball. Some of you know that about me. I played basketball in high school and college. And these are some high-definition 1996 pictures of me playing basketball um, from yearbook. And uh, my future wife at that time, we, we began dating. I was a junior and she was a sophomore. Uh, thank God for her every day. Uh, but I love playing basketball. And I got an opportunity when I was younger to go play basketball at a three-on-three tournament in Pennsylvania. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm pretty good. I think I can take this, All right? As I look over at Ben over here, he just, he kills me every time I play Ben. Uh, he's awesome at basketball. But I thought I was pretty good at the time. And then I walked into the tournament and I saw a human being, the likes of which I have never seen before in my life. I imagine it was kind of how David saw Goliath, but I'm, I, maybe. Uh, man's name was Kyle Brady. He was an offensive lineman for the New York Jets at the time. And if you want to just imagine him in your mind, what he looked like, picture a mountain range. And then, like, Photoshop arms and legs onto the mountain range, and that's about what he was. And I was doomed. I was out of my depth. They ran that tournament, and they, they, they killed us, okay? I realized that the gap, at that moment when I saw him, I realized the gap between himself and myself was wide. And I was in trouble. We are, every one of us outside of Christ, in trouble, we're separated. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What does that mean? God's perfect righteousness is the target, and we fall short on our own efforts every time. We cannot hit the target. And Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of that sin, for the wages of sin is death. So we are doomed outside of Christ. We stand separated. That gap is far too wide for us to cross. Isaiah sees, sees this, recognizes this, cries out in terror at his state of falling short. He says, woe is me. Isaiah knows that when God's holiness meets his own sin, his sin loses. His sin must be paid for. He is, in a manner of speaking, dead meat. But to quote another hymn writer, oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span. At Calvary. A constant realization of my unworthiness leads to awe 
and gratitude of the one who bridged the gap to make me worthy and give me life. Consider in your worship this morning from Isaiah's example. Isaiah was only made, was only ready to be used, made ready to be used by God after he confessed he wasn't worthy to be used by God. Warren Wearsby puts it this way, before he announced any woes on others, he first confessed his own sin and said, woe is me. Isaiah 66, the Lord is speaking and says, all these things my hand has made, speaking of creation, all these things my hand has made, so all these things came to be, declares the Lord, but this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Something very important I want you to remember this morning when you consider the gap between God and yourself is this. A heart that grasps the gap is a heart that magnifies the mercy. You want to worship the Lord in spirit and truth? Consider every day the gap between yourself and him and what he did to cross it. So this morning, are you overwhelmed by God's mercy? I want you to look at this video behind me for just a moment. It's one of the best videos I've seen in a while. You may have seen it, but uh, check it out. Example of mercy. Wow, that is a tough kid right there. So this is really cool because as a pitcher, Bubs looks shaken up right now because of what he did. And look at Zay Jarvis. This is such great sportsmanship. He wants him to know that it's okay, that he'll be fine. Hey, Bob. Look at me. Look at me. You're all right. Amazing. You're all right. Look at me. Hey, look, look. Isn't that awesome? It kind of makes me want to cry every time I see it. In a world overwhelmed with cruelty and arrogance and prima donna athletes, selfishness and pride, an act of mercy like that is, is shocking. But even more shocking is God's mercy towards us. Chapter 6, and read verse 6 through 7 in Isaiah. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. When the sacrifice from the altar is applied to Isaiah, God cleanse, cleanses him of sin and makes him worthy to serve. Isaiah goes from doomed, undone, and hopeless to purged, cleansed of sin, given hope, made new, and given purpose. Make no mistake, that is what happens when God's sacrifice, Jesus, is applied to your life too. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, For our sake, he, that's God, made him, that's Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God makes us the right, his own righteousness. He turns us into his own righteousness because his son took all of our sin on himself and paid for it on the cross. So what do we have to do to receive that, to be, to be purged of our sin, to be given hope? Well, firstly, we have to repent, to turn away. Charles Spurgeon described repentance as this, a discovery of the evil of sin, a mourning that we have committed it, a resolution to forsake it. 
It is, in fact, a change of mind of a very deep and practical character, which makes the man love what once he hated and hate what once he loved. God calls us to repent, to do a 180 from our sin. In Matthew chapter 3, it says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's what we say to you from Cedarville Church today, too, if you're outside of Christ. Repent. Today is the day of salvation. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Secondly, you must believe, that is to agree with God from your very soul that Jesus is the very Son of God, that he died, was buried, and rose again the third day, just as the Scriptures say, and putting the full weight of your trust on Jesus to save you from your sin. A very dear lady was uh, believed when she read this verse from John 11, a very dear lady from our church, that is, believed when she read this verse. John 11, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, whoever believes in me, Though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And so our question is the same. Do you believe this? We repent, we believe, and we confess. Confess is to proclaim Jesus as Lord and Master, turning over every aspect of your life to his worship and service, denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following him. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. In Christ, in his mercy, he separates our sin from us. In Psalm 103, it's probably my favorite chapter of of Scripture. Psalm 103, verse 12, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. He also, in his mercy, forgets our sin. Did you know God was forgetful? Isaiah 43, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Are you overwhelmed by that mercy? What grace that is. Hymn writer says, And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on a cross, my burdens gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. What mercy. Lastly this morning, are you overwhelmed by God's mission? Verse 8, chapter 6, verse 8. And I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. In his vision, The Godhead is talking, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit says, who will will go for us? And Isaiah says, I'm right here, send me. Have you ever been serious about a mission? Have you ever been on a mission? I was on a pretty serious mission just the other day. Um, Back up here on the screen, you'll see one of my family members, uh, actually two, one of them you can't see because her, her head's turned away. But the other family member whose face you can see is Bash, uh, Sebastian. We call him Bash. That's our poodle. And uh, if you know anything about dogs, uh, sometimes they like to go shopping in the house. And what I mean by that is they like to go out and see what doors are open and see what they can eat that they're not supposed to eat. And our dog loves to go shopping. And he went shopping one day and found a very precious treasure. It was a half bag of Hershey's chocolate. Yeah. If you know anything about dogs, that's uh, no bueno. That's not good. That's not good. 
And so in kind of a panic, we called my mother-in-law. She knows all things canine. She said, you have to make him drink uh, hydrogen peroxide. He'll throw everything up. Okay. And so bottle of peroxide in one hand, dog on a leash in the other, went to the backyard, pinned him between my knees and grabbed his jaws and forced peroxide down his mouth as he bit at me and flailed around. Eventually, and you're welcome for this. It's almost, it's almost lunchtime, I realize. Uh, you're welcome uh, that, that he, he lost what was endangering him. Right? I completed my mission. My dog didn't die. Thank you, Lord. But if you're in Christ this morning, you have a much greater mission than a dog. As another hymn writer says, rescue the perishing, care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. The scripture also says, but how will they hear without a preacher? What is our mission as believers? Romans 12, we're supposed to be a living sacrifice, all in, all on the altar, nothing held back. And what do we do when we're a sacrifice, a living sacrifice? We give the unmessed around with word of God and give your cracked but redeemed life so that others may know the truth. 2 Corinthians 4 tells us we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. God lets his light shine out of cracked people so that they may know the truth as well. A witness is just someone who saw something with something to say about it. Some might say, I can't, I'm not wired that way. Pastors like to use uh, Greek words in, uh, in sermons, so I'm going to throw one in here for you guys. So all the people that say, I can't, the Greek word is this, baloney. <laughs> Roughly translated means baloney, okay? God gives us the power to be a witness. It's not us. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about his strength made perfect in our weakness. You give your weakness to him, he works through you. So are you weak? Fantastic. You're in the perfect spot to be used by God to shake the world. Saying something about Christ has never been in all of history, and I can't. It has only ever been, and I won't. Are you on a mission this morning? God's mission? This is not a dog dying. These are people made in the image of God that he dearly loves and died for. You might say, we know, we know. We've heard it from Pastor Pat, Pastor Kurt. We've heard it. We have a whole lot of Christians who know better. What we need is a whole lot of Christians who yes better. Is your yes on the table? Are you overwhelmed? Welcome to life. We all are. We have to replace what overwhelms us. Put being overwhelmed in worship as your goal and watch it chase away being overwhelmed with life. If you'd indulge me at the end of the sermon here, would you stand this morning? Um, I am, a, like I said, the pastor of music. So we're going to sing, sing slash pray to end the sermon today. Next time you are overwhelmed by life, think on this passage of Isaiah's life. Think on the throne. Think on God's mercy toward you. Think on the purpose he gave you. And sing this. And when I think that God is son, not sparing, send him 
to die, I scarce can take it in, that on the cross my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sins. Sings my soul. And sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. And sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great. 